And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this reading of your word. And now, Lord, we look to you and we call on you, O Lord, to teach us and to guide us. We pray for your grace, Lord, that, Lord, you would open our hearts to understand these things, that you would open our eyes to see how they apply to our lives. So, Lord, to these ends we pray in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. When we think of biblical characters, uh, sometimes I think we, we might get in the, the idea that these biblical characters were uh, far more perfect than, uh, than they actually were. I don't know if you've ever fallen into that trap or not. It's easy to fall into. Uh, but the interesting thing about the Scriptures is they record things, uh, warts and all. Um, they're very, very revealing, if you will. Uh, they reveal things that if we were writing the book ourselves, I think we would probably, uh, we would probably delete some of this information. And uh, there's something that Matthew has been showing us and in order to see it, we really kind of have to take in where we've been over the last several weeks. And if you just turn back a page or two, back to Matthew 14, where we were a few weeks ago to the feeding of the 5,000. And if you'll remember, and it's hard to remember uh, all the way back then, but if you remember, the, the word of the execution of John the Baptist has come to Jesus and his disciples, and they... They've, they're exhausted. They've been working uh, to the point that they've hardly even had time to sit down and eat. And they decide, uh, let's sail across the, the Sea of Galilee to a remote place where we can get some rest. And they do this only to discover that there's a huge crowd waiting for them. We know that the crowd was a crowd of 5,000 men besides women and children. Uh, not much of a break. And Jesus has compassion on them, and he begins to teach them and spends the day with them. And as the day is growing old, uh, the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, uh, send the crowds away into the neighboring villages that they might get something uh, to eat. And if you were here for that message, you recall we made a point of stopping and saying, look what's going on here. The crowd is with the author and sustainer of life. And it's being suggested that the people go somewhere else for food. Well, we see there's, some, there's certainly some, 
some deficits in the understanding at that point. And then uh, Jesus, he says to the disciples, no, we're not sending the crowds anywhere. Uh, and Jesus miraculously feeds the crowd. And he dismisses the disciples before he dismisses the crowd, remember? He sends them on their way. They're going across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus goes up on the, he dismisses the crowd and then goes up on the mountain to pray. And sometime in the morning, probably around 3 a.m., Jesus begins walking across the Sea of Galilee miraculously. The disciples see him and they're terrified. They think they've seen a ghost. And Jesus says, fear not, it is, it is only I. And then Peter, of course, uh, he says, uh, in verse 28, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And, and uh, Jesus says, sure, Peter, come on out. And Peter begins indeed to walk on the water, doesn't he? As his eyes are focused on Christ, he's walking on the water. As soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus, looks to the waves and the danger, he uh, begins to falter, doesn't he? It begins to sink. Jesus takes him by the hand and delivers him to safety. When we get to chapter 15, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes because they're elevating their tradition above the Word of God. And Jesus says uh, in verse 8 and verse 9, quoting Isaiah, He says that they are honoring God with their lips, but their heart is far from Him. In vain they're worshiping, worshiping God and teaching uh, as doctrines the commandments of men. It's a really sharp and scathing rebuke. And uh, what the disciples do after this actually is really humorous. Um, they, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, um, I think those guys were offended back there by those things that you said. And, and I say it's humorous because is it possible that that detail escaped Jesus' notice? Uh, of course they were offended. Um, the hostility now between Jesus and the Pharisees and the religious leaders is growing uh, to massive proportions, to the proportions it's not even safe for Jesus to be around them. Uh, how could Jesus not know that? Uh, Jesus goes on to teach them. He says, listen, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And uh, what, what, where, do the, where do the disciples go with this, you know? Um, or I'm sorry, at this point he's teaching about the defilement. Uh, he's teaching about the defilement. Uh, it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person, not what goes into it. And the, and the disciples don't see this. Uh, they, don't, they don't get it. They're faltering uh, to understand. And then they move on from there uh, to the feeding of the 4,000, where they, are, they find another crowd, if you will. And this time it's a crowd that's slightly smaller, but it's still 4,000 men besides women and children. And uh, the, the interesting thing about this is they're with Jesus for three days and they've had nothing to eat and we don't see any hint of grumbling and complaining. And it is Jesus this time that says uh, to them, listen, I, I can't send you away hungry. I need to, I need to feed you. And uh, uh, upon this suggestion, the disciples become anxious. They're like, where are we going to get this bread? And it's almost kind of amazing because Jesus has already done this. He's already done this once, uh, and here he is about to do this again, and the disciples, they don't seem to get it, do they? Uh, they're faltering again. Uh, Jesus miraculously feeds the 4,000 as he had done uh, the 5,000, and then Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and the Sadducees again, and it is here where uh, Jesus begins to 
to say, listen, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven uh, of the Sadducees. And as Jesus is saying this, the disciples realize that they forgot to bring food with them. And when Jesus uses the word leaven, it seems like they've latched onto that. And instead of understanding that Jesus is warning them to beware of the false teaching of these individuals, uh, they're, they're becoming anxious because they don't have any bread. And we really have to wonder. That is amazing. Jesus was able to feed this large crowd of 5,000 besides uh, women and children. He was able to feed the 4,000 men besides women and children. And here they are. They're still anxious about the fact that they don't have any bread. And at some point, Jesus begins to question them. He says to his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Remember that discourse? Well, they answer, well, some say, you know, you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus says, well, who do you, who do you fellows say that I am? And Peter makes his great confession. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And no sooner does he make this great confession when Jesus begins to show them really the heart of what he has come to, to do and to accomplish. Uh, in verse 21 of chapter 16, uh, we're told that from that time Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer, he must be killed, and on the third day uh, rise from the dead. And Peter rebukes him, doesn't he? He had just made this great confession and had this, all this, uh, these accolades and and great commendation, and now he's rebuking the Lord. And we see that, that Peter is faltering again. He, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't get it. Now, I'm not doing this survey this morning uh, to bag on the disciples. Hardly the case. Um, it's not, there's, there's no intentions whatsoever to want to bag on the disciples. Uh, I, I do this for this reason. Uh, God is showing us something here. The disciples, through this period of time, are making great spiritual strides. They are indeed growing in grace, aren't they? But they're also faltering. And in some cases, they're faltering magnificently. We can relate with that, can't we? I mean, it, as I was going through this... Um, you almost can't help but to think, wow, you know, uh, we know God's always going to take care of us, but sometimes when we don't have enough money to go around or enough food to go around, we do kind of become anxious, don't we? But no matter what God has brought us through in the past, you know, sometimes when we're facing something new, it, it gets kind of scary, doesn't it? We shouldn't think anything strange is happening to us when we take in the fact that the disciples have already been there. Their growth in grace doesn't start at point A and run a straight line up to glory, does it? In fact, they, they seem to have this kind of move one step forward, two step backwards, two step forward, one step backward kind of growth, don't they? They go above the line, they drop down below the line, they go above the line, they drop. And sometimes they're just all over the place, aren't they? kind of the same way with us, isn't it? We see faltering. Now, when we come to the text that uh, we're studying this morning, you might have thought I was never going to get to that. 
verse 14. Uh, we see them doing more than faltering in verse 14 on onward. We see the disciples actually failing. Jesus has been up on the mountain with Peter and James and John, and he was transfigured there. And now they're coming down off of the mountain. And as they come down off the mountain, verse 14, they see a crowd and, and a man comes up out of the crowd. He kneels before Jesus. In verse 15, he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. Uh, he's an, epilep uh, an epileptic and he suffers terribly. Uh, the interesting thing about the word epileptic, it's uh, the, the original word there is the word we get lunatic from. I don't know if anybody knew that or not. Um, he, he's, he's out of his mind. Uh, the, the boy's out of his mind and furthermore we learn that he's out of his mind because he is uh, possessed by a demon and the man had brought the boy to Jesus' disciples and the disciples were trying to heal this boy and they were unsuccessful and uh, how does Jesus react to this? Uh, verse 17 Jesus answered O faithless and twisted generation how long am I to be with you? how long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. It almost sounds as if Jesus is becoming frustrated, doesn't it? They should have been able to deliver the demon out of the boy. Remember way back in chapter 10, Jesus gave them authority over the demonic realm to deliver demons. Chapter 10, I think it's verse 1 or 2, right in there somewhere. Yet they're failing. Why are they failing? Well, they ask Jesus that question. They come to him privately in verse 19, and they ask Jesus, why couldn't we cast out that demon? How's Peter respond? He says, because of your little faith. Because of your little faith. They have a faith issue. It's easy to misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. You know, at, 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 at the face of it all, it appears that what Jesus is saying is they don't have enough faith. It's because of your little faith. It, if they just had some more faith, then perhaps they would have been successful. But that's not what Jesus is saying. And we know this because of what he goes on to say afterwards. He says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible. In other words, just a small little bit of faith is all it takes. It's not the amount of faith that Jesus is, uh, that Jesus is regarding here or referring to. It's not the quantity, it's the quality. Uh, their faith is deficient. Now, we might think to ourselves, okay, well, that kind of makes sense because look at how Jesus responds to them in verse 17. He calls them faithless and twisted. But we might think, how can they be faithless? They've left their boats, in many cases, or the tax booths. They've left their businesses. They've left their families. They've made these great sacrifices to be with Jesus. They're following Jesus everywhere he goes. And here they are. Their sleeves are rolled up and they're in the middle of ministry. They're failing at it, but they're in the middle of it. How can they be faithless? 
When we think of biblical saving faith, we should always be thinking of three particular categories, three ingredients. Now, many of you have heard these three ingredients before. Uh, the first is knowledge. If we're going to be in a state of grace, if we're going to enjoy salvation, we have to have knowledge of certain facts of the gospel. That's all there is to it. We have to know certain information. Information has to be parted to us. We have to have knowledge of these certain facts. And secondly, we have to assent that these facts are true. We have to agree that they're true. We can hear the facts and say, well, that's all nonsense. That sounds like a fairy tale. And we only have one component of saving faith, which falls short of saving faith. But we could, as many people, many, many, many people do, we could know these certain truths and we could say, yeah, I believe those truths are all true. I believe that's the way it was. Jesus is the Son of God, the divine Messiah. He walked the earth, lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for the sins of His people. He's at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He's going to come back in judgment. Yeah, I, I know that. And I also agree that that's true. But there's still a third component that is necessary for us to be in a state of grace. And that third component is trust. It's a dependent trust upon God. Now, what seems to be going on with the disciples here? They have full knowledge, for sure. Full knowledge. And uh, uh, they agree that this knowledge is true. And I... We don't want to regard the disciples as unbelievers at this point in time, but at this particular juncture, they are acting in a faithless way. Why? Because they're not depending on God as they're trying to deliver this demon out of this boy. Now, many of you have an ESV Bible opened up. Uh, look, look with me to verse 21. Do you see verse 21? <laughs> I can't find verse 21. Where did it go? <laughs> You'll see that there's a footnote. And if you look at the bottom of the page, it'll say something like this. Some manuscripts in verse, in, insert verse 21. This kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. Uh, I like to point these things out occasionally because uh, uh, what's going on here is some of, the, some of the important manuscripts and some of the old ancient manuscripts don't have verse 21. Other manuscripts do. Uh, it was the tradition of the King James translation, and I think the new King James is followed to insert verse 21. Uh, but many, many translations do this, just what the ESV has done. They'll put a footnote, and at the bottom they'll say, listen, some of the important manuscripts do not have this verse. Here is this verse. But if you turn to Mark's parallel account of this passage, Mark includes it. He includes it. The disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast out uh, this demon? Jesus says, because your faith is deficient. This kind can only be delivered by prayer and fasting. Well, let's think about what prayer is. What is prayer? True prayer is a posture of dependence upon God, isn't it? It's a posture of dependence upon God. What seems to be going on here is the disciples, they've been casting out demons. They're, they're going through all of the motions, if you will. Uh, it's business as usual, but they're not depending on God. 
We can relate with that, can't we? I mean, there are times where I think, I know in my life where I just, I'll discover I'm just going through the motions. I still know the truth. I still believe the truth. But I'm not operating in a way that is reflective of the fact that I'm trusting in the truth. It's very easy to get in the habit of gathering here on Sunday morning. It's very easy to get in the habit of playing some songs and singing and praying and even preaching. And do so in a way where we're completely dependent upon our own faculties to do this. It's more than possible. I think sometimes it's normative to do this, I'm afraid to say. This is an important lesson for us, isn't it? You know, as we come here on Sunday mornings, has anybody been up early this morning praying that the Lord, the Lord would change your heart this morning? That He would apply His Word to you? That He would speak mightily? As we pray that our prayers would be, uh, would be effectual. It's easy just to awake at the alarm clock, go through the ordeal, get the hair fixed, get the clothes on, get the car cleaned up, take ice off of it, get in here. It's very easy to fall into that, isn't it? We know the truth, we assent to the truth, but God is far away. Where's God? Where's He at? Faltering, failing, Look at verse 22. In, in spite of all of this and after all this, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. Jesus is... Never off track, is he? In spite of the faltering of his people over and over and over again. In spite of even the failure of his people over and over and over again. In spite of the fact that oftentimes we can just be going through the motions. Jesus is always right where he's supposed to be. He's in the Father's will. He's carrying out the Father's will. What is he going to do? He's going to give up his life for a bunch of faltering and failing disciples like you and me and like these disciples. That's grace. And nothing can pick us up out of going through the motions like grace. Like the reminder that, you know, at the end of the day, we don't, we don't dare trust in what it is that we do. We don't dare trust in our own righteousness or any of that stuff. 
we see over and over again that the only way that we can enter into a state of grace and enjoy salvation is to trust in what Jesus has done. He is the one who is always on track. He is the one who lives perfectly in our stead. He is the one whose faith never falters. He is the only one who has never failed. He's our Savior. And our eyes have to be upon Him or we're going to be just like Peter on the Sea of Galilee. We're going to, we're going to sink. But guess what? Our eyes are not always on Him, are they? And every time we sink, what happens? If you're truly in a straight grace, what happens every time you sink? That hand is there every time to grab you. That, those arms are there every time to hold you. And to put you safely in that boat. We falter. We fail. But there's grace, isn't there? And it's that grace, that's that kindness that leads us to repent of our faltering and our failing. Heavenly Father, Lord, we recognize this morning that, Lord, our lives are not what they should be. And it's not because you've not given us the grace, Lord. It's because we're, we've, we're faltering. When we fail, Lord, it's not because the grace isn't available to us at all. It's because our minds and our eyes are off of you, Lord. But, oh, Lord, we praise you afresh this morning because we do realize that, Lord, your hand is always there. You're always holding us. We'll never fall any further than you will allow us to fall, Lord. And for that, Lord, we give you great glory and praise, oh, Lord. We thank you, oh, Lord. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would fill our hearts, O oh Lord, with trust afresh, that we would be trusting and depending not on what we do, but on what you have done and accomplished, that we would truly rest our souls in the hands of Christ Jesus. And we pray these things in his precious name. And everyone said, Amen.